if you know that something's wrong with you, keep following that and don't give up. Don't give up when a doctor says, well, maybe it's just stress or don't give up, you know, when they say, well, there's, you know, this test results negative. Like there's got to be something else out there. Hey Zen friends, welcome to Crazy Zen Life. I'm your host, Brittany Swan. And I'm your host, Shannon Kessler. Join us as we navigate life on and off our yoga mats. This is a podcast about mom life, boss life, and body life. Real conversations about self-discovery and the journey of becoming more mindful in this crazy Zen life. Welcome back, Zen friends. Back, back, back again. Mm. Yeah, I've been singing a lot more. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I feel like when you have a mic in your hand, you feel obligated to bust out the song. Bust it out. Uh-huh. I know. Our voices are all over the place. All over. I know. You know where I haven't been? I have not been all over the place this um, week. Why? Because Watson has the flu. Oh, the flu. Damn that flu. Does he have flu A or flu B? Did they tell you? I think it's A. Mm. Okay. I mean, it's there. Well, because he got a flu shot earlier, mm-hmm. like in December, right? I mean, I'm buying into the fact that the flu shot has helped. Mm-hmm. I want to buy into that. Because well, his symptoms have been lessened, mm-hmm. but his inner asshole has not. Oh. So the inner asshole, I mean, like, it's, we are waiting on him hand and foot. Oh, oh, so you are training him to have the man flu when he gets older. Well done. I'm trying to break it. <laughs> I'm trying to break it. I was like, you are not the boss of this house. And he's like, but do you need more ginger ale? <laughs> yeah. And then he's like. <laughs> So are you going to bring me those sausage sausage links or not? I'm like, yes, I will. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited. He's going to go back to school tomorrow. Oh, that's great. And then th- all the kids are out on Friday, which I'm like, uh-huh. that's effed up. Right. <laughs> At least you get one day one back day. to yourself. Um, but they have the Valentine's Day party. Yes. Which is where we both thrive as we do. Room parents that we're not. But it's like the one thing that we participate in all year long. Yeah. Valentine's I buy in advance. Mm-hmm. I've got so many things. Yes. And it's a day of love. It is a day of love. What's been going on with you? Well, interestingly enough, yesterday I get a text from my youngest daughter who is seven. She's in first grade. She, I get a text from her teacher saying, Eleanor is not acting like herself. She's not really hanging out with her friends and she's hiding under tables. I immediately was like, oh, okay, well that's different. Is she okay? She's like, yeah. She's okay. She's just, you know, not her normal smiley self. And I thought, hmm, interesting. So immediately I sent back, I'm like, is she complaining of like a headache or a stomach ache? And have you noticed, I mean, does she look like she's getting along with everybody? And she's like, I haven't noticed anybody acting any, you know, different towards her. But, you know, I'll keep my eye on it. And I was like, okay, well, I'll talk to her when she comes home. So she comes home. She's fine. She seems to be like in a pretty good mood. And then fast forward a couple hours later, she starts throwing a fit that she has to go to swim practice. And I'm like, hmm. I'm like, Dan, I'm, I'm tapping out of this because I feel like I've had this conversation with her many times in the past couple of weeks. Like, I'm just going to be nagging. You need to take this. So he talks to her for a good, like, 15 minutes or so and gets nowhere. Like, she's still crying. Like, they're behind closed doors. And I'm like, you know, it's like two minutes before we actually have to get in the car and take the kids to swim. And she's like, you know, her eyes, you can tell she's crying and she's still in her clothes. And I'm like, all right, listen, come on, Dan, I'm going to have to, I'm going to take this. And he's like, I've told her, you know, there's no iPad, there's no TV. You're going to go into your room at, right after school for two hours. I mean, just like threw the book at her. And I was like, that's a little aggressive. But I was like, you know what? Sorry. I don't mean to trump your parenting. 
with this, but I feel like we got that text from her teacher today. She's having an off day. She's been complaining about swim. I think she just needs a mental day off. Like, you know, I, I don't want to take this out from under you, but I really, I'm, I'm going to be advocate of my kid's mental health day today over practice. So I'm going to talk to her. He's like, all right, fine. That's great. So I talked to her and I was like, you know, buddy, you just seem like you're a little off today. Like what's, what's going on? Like Miss Gathright sent me this text and it's like, what, what is it? And she's like, well, I was like, is somebody being mean to you at school? And she's like, no. And I'm like, okay, well, are you getting along with your friends at school? And she got really quiet. And I was like, hmm, okay. And then she's like, well, my friends don't always understand that sometimes I just want to be by myself. And I'm like, hmm, already? Well, is that why you were not playing with them? Is that why you were hiding under the table? She's like, yeah, I just needed some alone time. And sometimes my friends are just always on top of me and always want to play. And like, I don't always want to play. Sometimes I just need to be alone. And it was in that moment, Brittany, that I was like, damn, that seven-year-old got insight. <laughs> like, She already knows. Like, Look, man, maybe that full moon was hitting her hard. It was. She was totally feeling it. And I was like, all right, buddy, I get mm-hmm. you. I get it. Yeah. So way to represent though. Mm -hmm. Way to offer her that safe space. But also like her knowing. Yeah. Way to go. Her knowing and not being like, you know, freaking out about that. Yeah. I'm proud of her. And then she was, I was like, well, okay, well we have to go to the grocery store because that's what I was planning on doing while you were at swim. So you're going to have to come with me. And I know that's boring. She's like, mom, that's not boring. And I'm like, well, all right. And then she's like, do you mind if I take a shower and wash my hair? I'm like, but buddy, you washed your hair last night. She's like, I know, but it just makes me feel better. And I was like, a hundred percent. wash the day away. <laughs> you have got bubble bath in there too if you want to just lather up, girl. Mm-hmm. I get you. Just some exfoliant. Wash the day away. Just yeah. Go with it. Well, yeah. way to go, little Eleanor. I know. And she was back to her perky little self this morning. I was like, but listen, you're still going to swim practice next week. Uh, yeah, I, I was like, <laughs> listen, you, you do have to go to swim practice on Thursday. Like, I give you one day off. Like, I get it. You regroup. But, you know, we made the commitment the show up you know you got to show up mm-hmm. and you know we can renegotiate this contract you know at a, a different part of the season but as for now we are committed and we are you know i always say kesslers don't quit so you, you got to go on thursday buddy that's sorry not negotiable and two to honor dan a yes. little bit more yeah, yeah yeah like and i totally get that and sometimes mm-hmm. i think that i've done that too yeah. where i totally like hijacked the parenting mm-hmm. because you see something else going on you're like wait a second yeah, because the reaction is not meeting the severity of what's going on. Yes. So when you notice that, you're like, mm. and like sometimes dad, I'm not saying all dads, but yep. sometimes dads are like, they'll just bypass that. Right. And now I'm noticing that I can figure out like this is this is deeper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like you know, moms can moms get the brunt. They do. You know, and I could tell like in this situation, it wasn't a power struggle. This Mm-mm. was not a. You're telling me I have to go to practice and I'm telling you it's not going to happen. Like there was definitely like you, to your point, like an underlining message that needed to be addressed. Mm-hmm. And I think Dan was just so like in the middle of the woods, couldn't see the trees kind of thing mm-hmm. and like couldn't see that the, the bigger picture was not about practice. It was there was depth. There was depth. <laughs> <laughs> but he was on a ta- he had time. Stamp. <laughs> he was at a time stamp too. Yeah. And he was like, listen, I got 60 right. seconds to wrap this up. <laughs> exactly. We gotta be in you got to change in the car. Right. <laughs> got to go, girl. And you yeah. mentioned that she her bathing suit. Oh, yeah. It was too tight. <laughs> she was like, she, but I get it. Yeah. She's like, my I don't like the way my swim cap feels on my head all the time. It's like always pulling up my ponytail and my swimsuit. It's just so tight. And I don't like that. And I'm like, 
girl, I don't like a tight swimsuit either. Like, I feel it. <laughs> and then she's like, my body's just so tired after a swim. And I'm like, you swim for 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, my body would be tired after swim. I think that's, you know, and I you explained, it was like, you know, that's just your body's way of saying that, hey, thanks for the exercise. We appreciate, like, us giving you the chance to move around today. That's, you know, and that's just, that's, it's an okay feeling. And that's normal that your body is tired after 45 minutes in the pool, buddy. That's totally going to happen. And she's like, oh. Okay. (laughs) Right. And it's tough being like tiny. Yeah. And understanding like feelings. And we ask when you really sit back and think about it, we Mm -hmm. ask a lot of these little nuggets. Yeah. Go to school, sit, Mm -hmm. listen, learn. Yeah. Obey. And I think you're the one that always says like little kids, big emotions. Isn't that your phrase? No. No. I mean, I've heard it. I I did not coin that. Okay. Well, whoever it was, spot on. Because it's true. Like, and they don't know how to really like understand what is going on. I don't even understand what's going on in my body. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Right. So give them safe space. Yep. She had a safe space today. So that's good. Another safe space that we feel that we have created is in this closet. And Yay. we invited one of our, one of my uh, friends to join us in the closet via Zencaster. Mm-hmm. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina. And today you're going to hear a story from Beth Wade. And it's a really interesting and beautiful story about discovery Mm -hmm. and her journey started um she was adopted at the age of three months and has been just searching for answers i think ever since um and you're you're gonna hear a lot of her story like her backstory and just the roller coaster of emotions she's taken uh throughout her life to get her to where she is today which is a remarkable story about how trauma affects your body mm-hmm. and how pain can subside in your body from a result of mental trauma, physical trauma, all of it. And I, it's funny because I tell Beth's story to so many people who are, you know, have like an ailment or something that's going on. They're like, I just can't figure this out. And I'm always like, you know, the body keeps the score. Do you know this book? <laughs> and I tell them about my friend Beth and it's always amazing how they're like, huh, really? Mm-hmm. So we, I feel like, Brittany's like, she's like, yes, girl, you tell the story to everybody. <laughs> everybody. Everybody. Um, so, well, I'm always with you. And yep. so when people are like coming up to us and people are very open with us mm-hmm. a lot of times, which I love. Don't yes, stop. Please do. Um, but it's very interesting to where when you do say this, their eyes get like immediately really wide. Be like, tell me more. Yeah. I'm like, here's the episode for you. Exactly. This is the tell me more series. Yeah. And one thing that I wanted to add to this is it's something that occurred to me after like sometimes thoughts come to me mm-hmm. after we push stop or end on our podcast. And what you'll hear today is kind of like, it's not a one size fits all. She had to keep advocating for herself, searching for answers, searching for what made sense to her. And it was such a beautiful message that way for me. Absolutely. Because it was so many times she ran to roadblocks saying, this is what's wrong with you. This is what's wrong with you. Or be grateful, be grateful. Or this is your story. Why, why don't you just honor it here? And she's like, but I'm, I, I, there's something in me that needs to search for more answers and more clarity. And she took that on. Yes. And that is the great way to approach this. I thought uh, her honesty around that. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a great story. This is a long episode. So yeah. if you need to take a break, we get it. <laughs> uh, but trust me, it's well worth it. You'll definitely want to stick around till the end. Mm. Um, but we hope you enjoy Beth Wade's story. Yay! Well, we have a very special guest with us today. It is Miss Beth Wade, and she is joining us in North Carolina. So welcome, Beth. 
Hey there. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. And we've bought, we bought, we brought Beth on the show today to talk about trauma and how your body holds on to trauma and like what happens when you start releasing trauma and what are the effects um, mentally, mentally and physically that it can have on your body. So, Beth, I want to start out with your background. Like, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And tell us a little bit about yourself. So, I grew up, um, well, I guess to go back to the very beginning, <laughs> um, I was actually born in Charlotte, um, but my birth certificate says Durham uh, because I'm adopted. So um, when I was three months old, uh, my uh, my adoptive parents um, brought me home to Durham and um, I grew up there all my life um, and then uh, went to Wake Forest for college um, in Winston-Salem, and that's where I met my husband. And um, after I graduated, I had a short uh, period of time, I guess it was probably about a year, where I worked for a litigation support company um, because I was I thought maybe I'd be interested in law one day because my, my adoptive father was a, um, an attorney. And so um, I worked there for about a year and I realized that I did not want to go to law school or be <laughs> or be an attorney or anything like that. Um, and uh, but I did love sales. Um, I loved out, you know, outside sales and just um, also advertising and graphics and um, had always been really interested, interested in art. So um, I found a job at uh, I was back then Bell South, now AT&T, selling Yellow Pages, the internet and print products. And so I went, yeah, <laughs> old school, well, old school. Um, I had to ask my kids the other day, I was like, do you know what a Yellow Pages is? Um, so, um, it's like dropped off. And people still use phone books. I know. It's, it's crazy. It depends on where it is, but some areas it's still like the thing. So, uh, but yeah, so I, I was an outside sales rep for probably five years and then I went into sales management, um, with them and, um, probably about four or five years after that, they sold off the advertising piece to a different company. And so that was like a turning point in my life where I decided, well, what do I do now? Do I, um, you know, I've kind of, uh, I'll be losing all my, you know, like credit towards retirement and stuff. Do I really want to stay in this company or do I want to kind of like follow a dream? And so um, I had gotten into photography um, a little bit after my first child, Will, was born, um, but really started getting into it back in like 2012. And then um, it took me a few years. And then in 2014, I um, told AT&T I was leaving and I kind of took a leap of faith um, and just and left and started my own photography business or kind of continued on the path that I had created, you know, starting back in 2012. And um, there were many years where I did both. <laughs> I worked full time. I was a mom and I had my photography business going um, and it was just it was a lot. It was a whole lot. And uh, my body really, it really impacted my health. And so when I left AT&T, that's, that was kind of the, the start of the rest of my life, basically, you know, I, I really made a huge change in my priorities and, um, you know, how I was 
how I was living my life and, you know, focused more on my health um, than my career. And, um, you know, I still, I still wanted to do well and I wanted, I needed my photography business to be successful, but, um, I was much more conscious about how it was impacting my health and well-being at that point. So, um, and that's, that's kind of where I've been for the past several years is, um, you know, is doing, doing photography and then really, um, focusing again on, on my health and, uh, and really healing a lot of stuff that I did not know I was dealing with. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, to speak to your photography business, you are probably one of the most talented maternity photo or photographers I've ever seen. I mean, those like newborn photos, I remember thinking like, can I just fly her to the Kentucky <laughs> when I have a baby and like, just let her like love on my little nuggets oh. and take they're so beautiful and you have such a gift of capturing just the 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 realness that comes Simplicity. with um mm-hmm. you know with having a new baby and you capture that love in you know in parents eyes but you also just capture those sweet little smiles that you know I think people will spend an entire lifetime trying to capture and yet you just somehow you're like the baby whisperer. I mean, you bring it out of them and I'm like, oh, I just melt over every single one. I love them so much. I will tell you, when I was pregnant, the only thing I liked about being pregnant was my maternity shoot. (laughs) The only day that I wanted, I was like, okay, this is okay. But the rest of it, I was like, I was not one of those people like, I love being pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) I want to go back. So you said that you started being more aware of your health problems around this time that you left AT&T. Can you talk about like what symptoms and what signs you were having? Yeah, for sure. Um, so it started uh, while I was still working at AT&T. Um, and the first thing that I noticed was I was having a lot of back pain. And so I started going to a chiropractor and um, just trying to figure out like, why am I having this back pain? And that, and then I, I went to get, pretty routinely, um, massages and just thinking, well, oh, that's probably what, you know, what's going on. And, um, so let's see, I had, I've got three kids. I didn't even really mention that. (laughs) I've got a wonderful husband and we have three kids together. We've got, um, Will who's 10, um, Charlie, who is about to turn nine and then Alice, who is about to turn five. Um, and so, um, we, uh, I had Charlie in 2011 and, you know, between probably 2008, um, 2009, Will was born in 2009. And then in 2011, I just, I got to the point where actually I thought I had pink eye. <laughs> um, my body was just shutting down to the point where, um, I, I just got so sick and then I never got better. Um, it was basically like my immune system crashed. And, um, so I remember just going in and out of doctors and no tests really ever came back conclusive at all. Oops. Sorry. That was my, <laughs> my, um, so, you know, none of the tests ever came back conclusive. They thought I had pink eye, um, but the pink eye would never really go away. And, um, and for years and years, I just went through cycles of going to doctors and trying new medications. Um, in 2013, I believe I had 73 
doctor's appointments or no, excuse me, 73 prescriptions and like 38 doctor's appointments. It was something, yeah, it was something crazy. I had so many prescriptions. I mean, they knew me at CVS. I would go up to, <laughs> up to the drive-thru and they're like, Miss Wade, you're back again. Um, so I feel like I tried and just exhausted all of my, um, my resources with, uh, you know, with like Western medicine. Um, but my symptoms were fatigue, joint muscle pain. My eyes were red and itchy and irritated. Um, I would have some skin issues, but the biggest things were joint muscle pain and fatigue. My, my knees got to the point where they were so, they hurt so bad that they would like, if I sat down, they would give way. I just like fall down. (laughs) Um, yeah. And I mean, I feel like most of my life I've been pretty healthy. I tried to be active and, you know, have like moderate exercise, um, eat pretty decently. And, um, and then all this just came crashing. Um, and then I also had a lot of jaw pain, uh, that was just debilitating because most of my work I was talking, you know, and I just, I couldn't, I couldn't go for long periods of time and have conversations with people because my jaws just began to, to like lock up on me and they hurt so bad. So, you know, it was kind of a, a, just a, you know, mess of different symptoms. And a lot of times they change. And again, none of the tests that my doctors were doing were ever conclusive. Um, The first time that I ever felt like, wow, I might be onto something is when um, an acquaintance actually suggested to me that I might have Sjogren's, um, an autoimmune disease. And so once I got that information, I was like, oh, I've never even heard of that. But if I look at all the symptoms, they, they match up almost, you know, identically. And so I went down that path for a long time and, um, and tried treatments and tried anything I could to, um, to really get a, a, a positive diagnosis. And it's incredible how difficult that was to even just get a test result to be like, oh yeah, this is what you have. Um, so for many years, probably about five years, I thought that I had Sjogren's and I was being treated for Sjogren's. Um, and all my rheumatologist was doing was treating my symptoms. And he basically kind of told me, this is, this is the best we can do. Um, you know, you Sjogren's is something where you just kind of live with the symptoms and we treat these and the symptoms and try different medications. And, um, I wasn't, I was 33, 30, no, 35, I guess, 34. And I was like, this is not, no, (laughs) no, I'm not, I'm not going to live like this. I'm not accepting that. Um, and so in 2000, 17, I decided, um, or I guess 2016, the end of 2016, I started an autoimmune protocol diet. It's the AIP diet. And, um, the, they've got a great website. It's the paleomom.com. Um, and so for probably six months or so, I went on this AIP diet thinking, okay, well, if I have an autoimmune condition, then I should be able to fix it with this. Um, so I went on this diet and I, I didn't feel any better. Um, and so I went to a holistic doctor and he ran the autoimmune tests again and came back and just said, you know, you, you don't have an autoimmune disease. We need to go and do 
um, an infectious disease panel. And this was kind of the first time I had really heard about, heard about that uh, just as a possibility. I'm like, do a what? I have, I have so, oh, oh. So one question. Yeah. Why didn't they test for infectious diseases through all those panels that they were taking? Like you were going to so many doctors and so many prescriptions. Why didn't they test for that? Like test for all of that and, infectious and disease that and the, other. And that is it just they just didn't and and amazingly when i reached out to my rheumatologist and told him about my um experience with the holistic doctor and that he had tested and then i came back positive for lyme disease and co-infections he kind of poo-pooed it he just kind of went well i wouldn't trust that <laughs> oh and i was like really um <laughs> I hope yeah. you had a new doctor after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. So, um, and I feel like the reason that they didn't back then was just because so many doctors were afraid of Lyme disease, um, because the CDC did not recognize it as a legitimate illness. Um, insurance companies would not cover Lyme disease treatment. And there was a lot of controversy about Lyme disease and many doctors. I know a story about one doctor, um, who actually, like, I think he even lost his medical license for a while because he was treating Lyme disease patients in a way that wasn't in line with what the CDC was, you know, demanding, I guess. Um, and he had a trial and it was kind of a big mess, but, you know, doctors see that and they don't want to mess with it. You know, they don't want to treat you for something that they could get in their license revoked for, you know, it's, it's it's kind of a taboo thing. (laughs) Um, but it doesn't help the patients. It doesn't help those of us that are suffering and know, and know that something's wrong with our bodies. Um, my rheumatologist at one point, uh, after we had done tests and tried different medications and things, I remember sending him a, a message over our, the portal and, one of his replies back to me was maybe you're just stressed. And <laughs> it was you're like, Oh my God. So I was, irate. maybe it's <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was so irate. I was like, look, I know my body. I know my body. I know, no, I know that something's wrong. Please don't tell me that I'm just stressed. You know, that is not what I need to hear right now. Um, so I felt like once I went the holistic route you know, it wasn't perfect. And there were, you know, everyone's, everyone's different. Everybody's different. So um, even when you go a holistic route, I feel like you have to try different things and see what works and some things will work and then some things won't. Um, But at least I got, it really just opened my eyes to like, wow, this is, this is a lot bigger than I kind of realized. And at least now I have an answer um, and I understood that that Lyme disease will mimic so many symptoms of various autoimmune conditions to the point that um, fibromyalgia, um, chronic fatigue syndrome, anybody who has those um, you know diagnoses will could have Lyme disease um, to the point even where uh, there's talk of ALS being Lyme disease um, because the symptoms and, you know, the bacteria that when Lyme infects your body, it can 
do so much damage. And we just, it's been just one of those diseases that has been, you know, put under the table and, um, and hidden away. But I feel like now a lot of, you know, celebrities are coming out with Lyme disease. And, um, I remember when, um, Kelly Osborne came out and I ended up going and doing, uh, the stem cell treatment at the same place where she went to go, it got kind of that, you know, severe for me. Um, and uh, so I feel like the awareness that has come about in recent years is really helping people to, um, you know, to get healed and get treatment. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's just sad that it's been such a, again, like a taboo subject. So Right. How are you doing mentally when you were kind of going in and out of doctor's offices and there weren't a lot of answers and you were just, you kind of feel like you were getting the runaround and, and just getting pushed away and pushed away. How are you doing mentally then? Because at this point you were, you had three children, correct? Like you still had your photography business um, and you, you were a mom of three. So, I mean, to Brittany's point, like that, I feel like that would take a, a huge wear and tear on you mentally. Yes, absolutely. So I, at that point, I actually, we just had the two kids and um, we just had the two boys and, um, and it was, we, we had talked about having a third, um, but we were waiting. We told, we said we had to wait until Will got in school and Charlie got out of diapers because the two boys are so close together that we were like, Ooh, we wanted them close together, but now two in diapers is a little challenging. So, uh, plus my health issues and all that. So we were kind of waiting, but mentally, oh, wow. I can remember, I can remember sitting on my bathroom floor, um, cause my eyes hurt so bad. I just wanted to like scratch them out of my head. And I was sitting on the bath for, bathroom floor, just crying. And I remember Will coming in and he was probably about two or three at the time. And he just sat with me and gave me a hug. And he just like knew that I was struggling so badly. Um, And it it was, again, it was like before he could even talk that he just knew that mommy was not good. You know, mommy was suffering um, badly. And, you know, when you're dealing with, I was dealing with the emotional piece of it, the physical piece of it. And then when you, yeah, when you put in, kids and then you put in a stressful work environment because I was still working at AT AT&T and I had this supervisor that was just, oh my gosh, um, he was just awful, you know, just very, very demanding, not understanding. um, And uh, really it was, it was just a bad situation. So, um, and I, so I've been going to a psychiatrist since I was 16 (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I was taking antidepressants, um, and was taking, uh, treatment medications for, uh, ADD and just, I was just a mess. I was a, I was just a real big mess. Um, and I'm, I'm so proud now that I'm off of all that. And I can't, I can't, I still can't believe it really. I can't believe, um, how far I've come mentally from where I was when all this was going on. And there was so much unknown, you know, there was so much unknown as to like, what is going on with my body? Nothing makes sense. None of these doctors are listening to me. They just want to, you know, push another drug off on me and, you know, slap a bandaid on it. 
Um, and it's, it's frustrating because you're going to a specialist for a specific test. And then like for, you know, I was going to a rheumatologist for my Sjogren's test. When it comes back negative, she's like, ah, sorry, you can't see you. And she like pushes me back off to my primary care. <laughs> and I still don't have any answers. I'm still, I'm still not better. I'm still not fixed. And it's, um, oh my gosh, it is a struggle. And I know that there are so many people out there who go through that and go through the runabout with, um, you know, with the medical arena, I guess. And it's just, um, you know, it's hard. It's really hard. So, but it, it'll, as long as people keep believing that if you know that something's wrong with you, keep following that and don't give up. Don't give up when a doctor says, well, maybe it's just stress. Or don't give up, you know, when they say, well, there's, you know, this test results negative. Like there's got to be something else out there. Um, and, um, and it sounds like, you know, you being your your strongest advocate for you and your own health is kind of what led you to, you know, take initiative when you had your Lyme's diagnosis and get the stem cell um, treatment. So did you have any success with the, with that treatment? With the stem cell treatment? Yes. Yes. Um, so it was, it was really kind of one of those, um, it, it was a, I guess, quote, holistic treatment because, um, the, the protocol was developed in Germany. And so, um, and then they opened an office in Beverly Hills and what it's really, it was really designed to do is to boost your immune system. And so this was the thing that I really didn't understand either was that, um, my immune system was so worn down that my body could not fight off the disease or diseases because Lyme, it's not just Lyme. It's, um, you know, ticks and any, really any bug that bites, um, they carry, they can carry Lyme, but they also carry other co-infections that are just typical, you know, with, with the Lyme strain. So I, I tested positive for Lyme and then also several of these co-infections. Um, so what they did was I went to Beverly Hills and, um, for two weeks I had a protocol where, um, I would go in and get IV treatments every day and they would kind of, you know, um, mix it up. So one day I get a certain thing and then the next day I get a, a different one. Um, and they would do ozone therapy. So where they, it's called a 10 pass ozone treatment where they basically hook you up to this machine. They draw your blood out. Um, it goes up into this little, uh, you know, plastic thing, they swirl it around with ozone, which kills off viruses, toxins, all this stuff. And then they um, bring it back down and put it back into your body. So it's like your blood gets a car wash or something. <laughs> um, and so I did that. And, um, and so that was the first week. And then the second week is when they actually do the stem cell treatment. And I had both um, fat stem cells where they do a little bit of liposuction out of your, uh, your like love handle area. And, um, so they draw out the fat and then they pull out the stem cells. They'd like purify the stem cells and then they inject them back into you. So I had the fat stem cells, the first, um, treatment that those first two weeks. And then at about the 
five month mark, I went back out there and then they did blood stem cells um, where they pull your blood out and um, take the stem cells from there again, kind of purify them. And this is all <laughs> very, very um, unscientific, uh, but, uh, and then inject them back into you. And it's my understanding that um, the different types of stem cells target different things. So I think it's that the fat stem cells would target um, tissues that are uh, deteriorated or need repair. So, um, so that would focus on because a lot of what these bacteria and you know viral illnesses do or is is degrade your tissues. Um, and so, and then the blood stem cells, um, I believe, are more focused on building your immune system back. If I if I got that right, so uh, I was able, just very fortunate to to be able to go through the process of getting both of those, and um, it really gave my body a boost that I desperately needed. Um, Cause in addition to the Lyme disease and the co-infections, I also developed uh, issues with yeast and um, candida. And that was probably, that probably became even worse than the Lyme symptoms because um, it just, Oh my gosh, if you ever have yeast problems, it is so hard to get rid of them <laughs> to get rid of it. Um, so I just, you know, I really feel fortunate that I was able to do the stem cell treatment and, um, and it did really just give mentally and physically, uh, there's a lot to say for knowing that you're going through this treatment and that, uh, there's a group of, you know, doctors and and nurses that really care about, you know, what, what's going on with your body. Um, and that's the way I felt when I went to, to have the stem cell treatment was, you know, they were really looking out for, um, my body's best interest and cleaning out my body and repairing my body. Um, and not just giving me a medication to mask a symptom. You know, it was like, no, we're, we're going to get, get the bad guys and help boost some of the good guys and, uh, and no more band-aids. So. I bet that was empowering to finally have somebody on your side. Like, thank you. Like you, someone hearing you finally. Yes, for sure. And, you know, I was there with a group of four other girls, um, ladies, women who were suffering the same, same thing. And so, you know, I finally felt less alone that, you know, I didn't know anybody at that, at, at that point in my life, I really didn't know anybody else who had Lyme. <laughs> and so it was like, wow, I've, finally met some people who are, who know exactly what it's like, who know exactly how I feel and, um, are going through the same thing. So it's very, uh, just a, a good, yeah, good experience and just really kind of boosted, boosted my mental state as far as like, okay, we can get through this. You know, there's, it's not just me. <laughs> Yeah, I bet that was kind of one of the big problems. You're like, is it just me? Is it in my head? I mean, you're probably fighting your own internal demons as well as then finally when you're validated, you're like, oh my gosh, thank you. Like, thank you for proving that I'm not just, it's not just me in my head. Absolutely. You do start feeling crazy. And because that's what, you know, again, you get, when I got that email from my, my doctor, that's like, oh, well, you're just stressed. And then I'm like, am I just stressed? I'm like, no, I'm not just stressed. I mean, it really just, it messes with you because you start 
thinking, well, maybe it is just me. I am just crazy. (laughs) So, yeah. So recently you have been open on your social media platforms about reconnecting with your biological family. And you talked a lot about how that's been helpful in finding more recovery for your body physically and emotionally. Can you tell us more about how you found your family and then what were, you know, the positive um, side effects that came from finding that? Yes, absolutely. So um, let me go back just a, a bit too, because it's it's kind of all connected to the, the Lyme disease. So, you know, I had the stem cell treatment and um, for that year afterwards, it really gave me a good boost and I was feeling good. And then um, about a year after, I, I kind of fell back into some of the same old symptoms. And it was really heartbreaking thinking, wow, you know, I was doing so good and I was like feeling great. And, um, and so when I, my like coping mechanism going through all this was reading and, um, I got back into reading a lot. Um, and one of the books that I really, um, found a lot of answers from, was a book called Energy Medicine by Donna Eden. And um, I just kind of devoured it, you know, and thought, wow, is this really true? Like, is some of this energy healing really true? Um, and it was about the same time that I started going to yoga and, um, and you know, really healing as far as, uh, as far as, you know, getting to know my body better. Um, so I wanted to take that a step further and I was still kind of living in a fog of, I call it the adoption fog. (laughs) Um, not really, not knowing, uh, that my adoption had that much impact on me, but I was really excited when I went online and I found an energy healer who was trained in Donna Eden's practices and she's local in Charlotte here. And so um, her name's Eva Gorley and I scheduled an appointment with her cause I was like, you know, I was doing well, but I'm not doing well. Um, so let me just see if maybe she can do some of this muscle testing and really just, you know, maybe some frequency work. Um, I knew she had a, a Rife machine and I had seen that that was good for Lyme. And so I went to her and, um, and just like most people, I've always been very open with my adoption. The fact that I was adopted, I don't, I think something subconsciously, a part of me is just like, yeah, I'll just tell everyone. And then maybe who knows that person could be related to me and, you know, we'll just make, you know, that will be amazing. I could find out who I'm, you know, where I came from. Um, so I was very open with her and told her almost immediately, yeah, uh, you know, she asked about my childhood. I'm like, yeah, I'm adopted. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, and she writes down abandonment trauma. And I said, what? And she said, <laughs> she's like, you're adopted. You have abandonment trauma. And I said, no, I don't. And, and I was like, and then I looked at her and I was like, maybe I do. It was so, it was, it was really just one of those moments 
that I was like, I have never heard that. And I told her that I said, I've been in therapy. I've been with a psychiatrist and going to therapy since I was 16 years old. And all of those therapists knew that I was adopted and not a single one of them ever mentioned to me abandonment trauma. That is the first time I had ever heard anything about that. And she looked at me and I looked at her and we were just like, wow, like mine was blown. And so she, and it just took a while for that to sink in. And, you know, she kind of went into the whole, well, do you, have you thought about searching for your parents? And, and I told her, yeah, I said at that point I had. So, um, when my, when I was 28, um, I had been married for no 29. I got married in, no, 28, sorry. <laughs> I got married in 2007. Um, in 2008, my adoptive parents, they had always told me, if you ever are interested in finding your biological family, um, you know, when you're ready, we have some documents that would probably help you find them. And so when you're adopted, it, it's just a curiosity thing, right? You want to know where you where you came from. You want to know what your parents look like. You kind of just have that curiosity, but society makes us believe that we need to be grateful. We are lucky because we are adopted. And with that comes this feeling of like, Oh my gosh, well, I don't want to, I don't ever want to, you know, ask my adoptive parents about my biological family because that's just like, that's rude. That's, that's inappropriate. Um, and so you know, my parents had always told me this, but I never asked for the documents, but I looked for them. (laughs) Oh boy. Did I look for them? I remember, uh, it was funny because when I, when I finally got the the documents, um, you know, Erin Shore, she's one of my best Mm -hmm. friends from high school. And, um, she was like, girl, I remember going to your house and we would look all through your daddy's study. (laughs) hair in that place up trying to find those documents. Um, so finally, uh, in 2008. And I think my mom just, um, you know, after we got married and we hadn't started a family yet, I think maybe, you know, something subconsciously, she was just kind of like, you probably deserve to know this because it had medical history in it. Um, so I, uh, I got those papers from them. And, and what I didn't realize back then was that when they gave them to me, that that was their way of saying, it's okay with us that you would search for your biological family. I did not realize that. I can see that now, but I I just didn't see it then. I still felt that kind of shame for wanting to look to look for my biological family. Um, so much so that after they gave me the documents, I I did search out. I went on to Ancestry, and I I um, there was one piece of information in my adopted my non-identifying information um, that uh, I had a half sister or excuse me, a half brother that died when he was two of leukemia. And um, so I went on to ancestry and I was able to find his death record and, um, and, you know, found my birth mother's name from there. And at that point, once I found her name, I just, I didn't know what to do. It's very overwhelming. And I had not, I'd been married, but I had not started a family. I couldn't picture what, what that would look like if, if she did want a relationship with me. Well, how does that play into, into, you know, if we have kids or when we have kids and, 
I just couldn't like, I couldn't process it. And then about two weeks after I found her name, my adoptive dad died. And I felt like that, I felt like it was my fault. Um, that somehow I know that they're not connected now, but I felt that way back then. I felt that my searching somehow, you know, caused this, caused this death of my father. And, um, I was devastated. So I dropped it and I went on, tried to move on with my life and, you know, had, we had kids and we did all that. So, um, you know, fast forward to, uh, sitting with my energy, my energy healing lady who's dropped the abandonment trauma bomb on me. Um, and you know, and she's like, um, you have two sets of parents and her saying that out loud was also just kind of define a very defining moment to me. Something that I'd never heard anybody say to me, um, that I have two sets of parents and I do, you know? Um, and it was after that meeting with her, that I came home, I found, um, I went online looking for more books. <laughs> again, reading, reading was my, you know, again, my coping mechanism. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got to find a book about this. Um, so I found the book primal wound by Nancy barrier Newton, I believe is her name. And it set me free. Um, it really validated all the emotions that I felt inside and was unable to say or unable to identify. Um, and so that was in June of 2019 when I met with her and I got that book. And um, I remember going to my husband and being like, I've got to do this. I, I have to find them, you know, and I had. So back in 2015, after my daughter was born, um, you know, I always kind of had the emotional, I want to find out, I need to look this up. I need to find this. Um, and so back after Alice was born, all these emotions of like, okay, I've got to find my family again. Like I'm, I, I just, you know, need this. I had tried to search for my birth mother online, like to do a Facebook search, just think, well, maybe I can find a picture of her. I feel like I'd be just be satisfied if I just saw a picture of her. And, um, of course she wasn't on Facebook, but, um, I finally thought, well, I have a half sister, maybe she's on Facebook. And so back in 2015, I found my half sister on Facebook and that's when, wow. I mean, I, I finally had a face to a name. Now, did you befriend her or did you just stalk her? I just stalked her. I totally stalked her. And I, to the point, (laughs) to the point that I even, and and the reason that I stalked her is um, in my, so, and I, I'm talking about not identifying information. Maybe I should explain that. So if you're adopted, um, what they typically do is they create a, you know, a narrative with, um, some medical information and also just a little bit of a background on um, the family's history, what was going on with the family, this and that. And so um, in these documents, it told me specifically that I had a half sister who was 16 years old at the time that I was um, born and that um, the, the family, specifically my maternal grandparents were ashamed that my birth mother got pregnant and that they were hiding 
her pregnancy from my 16 year old half sister. Um, so yeah, I was stalking her. (laughs) I was so scared. I was so scared to tell her who I was because all I knew was that my birth family wanted to keep me a secret. Um, and so it was probably, let's see, did I do Yeah, I guess it was 2015. So I found her, I created a fake account online, like a dummy account online. And I messaged her and by some, you know, sheer, you know, whatever of luck, she saw the message. Um, and I had given her enough information in the message to kind of like, be like, okay, I'm legit. And I, um, the doc, the document said when my mother got pregnant that they sent her to a home for unwed mothers and they told my half sister that she was off visiting relatives. So I was like, well, I can be the relatives. I can be the relatives that she was visiting. Like I'll just pretend, <laughs> pretend that. And then she'll still never have to know. Like, I just wanted to see my mother. I just wanted to know who my mother was. Um, and, um, and I was scared. I was really scared because I thought, well, what if my mother wants to keep this a secret and I'm the one who's like, Hey, look who I am. You know, let me come out and, and tell my half sister about all this stuff that she never knew. Um, it just really scared me. And I was shame. There was shame there. It was so much shame. Um, so I mess, you know, like you don't want to be rejected. Uh, you know, right. you're like, this trauma, you're like, well, I don't want to feel rejected from somebody <laughs> that I no, don't know. Really, essentially, yeah, absolutely. It was so scary because I thought, and you know, my thought was, well, the family wanted to keep me a secret. They were ashamed of me. Why would she be any different? You know, why would she even want to know me? So um, I, I messaged her anonymously and just asked her about my mother, um, if she, you know, if she was. Uh, my mother's daughter and, you know, wanted to see if she was still alive, if I could reconnect with her. Cause I'm a, you know, she stayed and I said, she stayed with me back in around 1979 or 80. And we we're just trying to reconnect. And my half sister thought it was a scam. She read it and she thought it was like, you know, one of those weird scams where they're like, Oh, we, you know, um, kidnapped your relative and now you owe us, you know, <laughs> So, I mean, she just thought she was like, this is just too weird. And so the only information I got back from her was that, yes, my mother was alive. And that was in 2015. So I was like, okay, because I had been searched. I had been Googling her name and obituaries because I was like, I wonder if she's even still alive, you know? Um, So I had gotten that answer back in 2015, um, but I was just scared. And then come last year, it, took me, um, I ended up going through a cousin, um, instead of my half sister, because again, I was so scared to actually go through her. I just was trying to get to my mother. Um, but I joined several background check sites and found various phone numbers for some of these. Um, it was my, let's see, my birth mother's brother, um, had, was married, um, and had two daughters. And so I found the name of one of, of several of those daughters, um, and their email address on this background check site. And I emailed them, um, and I emailed them honestly in saying, you know, what my name was, 
Um, uh, Carolyn Kidd is my mother and um, I was given up for adoption in 1980 and I just would like to see her, you know, could somebody please give me information on where I can, you know, visit her. And um, at about the same time I did that, I also made a phone call to um, one of the daughters and I had been calling and calling all these phone numbers and they always rang disconnected. And so I was like, oh, I'm just going to call this one and it's going to be disconnected again. But I called it and she picked up. Ooh. And I freaked out. <laughs> I was like, I'm so used to just getting these, you know, disconnected lines. And she picks up and I'm like, whoa. And so I just start spilling my guts and I just tell her who I am. And, and she is blown away because they kept it a secret from her too. And come to find out, um, her mother was actually, um, her mother who was married to my mother's brother. Um, the two of them drove my birth mother to Charlotte to have me. And so, um, her mother was, is the only living relative that knew uh, that I existed and um, yeah, so when I hung up the phone with her, she and she was like, have you thought about contacting, you know, your half sister? And I'm like, well, I was like, I'm I don't know what to do. You know, I don't know her. And if I contact her, is she going to be <laughs> I just I didn't know. Um, so, you know, long story short, I ended up getting in touch with my half sister um, through her daughter, um, her daughter. Her daughter has a. Um, a videography business. And the only address that I had for my biological mother, if I Googled that address, it brought up her videography business. And so I sent her an email and was asking the same thing. Like, can I, I'm trying to, and, and I was playing, playing my anonymous part still with her. Um, I had sent her an email and um, uh, just said, you know, I'm trying to find Carolyn Kidd. Well, when I had talked to my cousin and sent that other email, there was a bunch of stuff behind the scenes that happened with the, with my biological family. Like people started texting each other and it's like, Whoa, what is that? Is this real? You know, we're getting these emails from this girl claiming she was adopted. She's Carolyn's daughter. Like what in the world? So, um, so all that went down and then I finally got an email back from my niece, um, my half sister's daughter. And um, in response to my inquiry, um, when I was still, you know, playing the anonymous card and, um, and she's like, I don't believe that you are who you say you are. And if you don't tell me the truth, then I'm not going to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And, oh man, she did. And I was like, but you know what? I'm so glad she did. I'm so glad she did. And I, I just, um, and I was like, I remember looking at the email and I just responded back to her and I said, you know, my name is Beth Wade. Here's my phone number. Please call me. Because I'm like, I'm not going to explain this in an email. <laughs> I can't. There's too much. Um, We're layered. We're right. layered here. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so she called me back that day and um, and she was shocked. Um, and we had a great conversation and I found out that, you know, she's as she should be very protective of her mother, who is my half sister. And, um, and so, uh, and I told her, I was like, what, you know, 
can I talk to your mom? I, I would really love to be able to talk to her. And, and it was very much like walking on eggshells because I just didn't know um, how they would be or how they would respond to me. Um, and I think the biggest thing that she said to me that really kind of just solidified, okay, I'm, I'm okay. Is that she said, you know, if we had known about you, we would have looked for you. Oh, oh my gosh. And just, yes, (laughs) Okay. That makes all the stalking worth it. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I and I was like, I'm and I told him I apologized over and over. I was like, I'm so sorry for lying to you. I was scared. I was just scared because and I read out, you know, my my adoption documents to her. Um, and I just told her I was so scared because all I knew was that I was a secret and that I didn't feel like it was my place to tell, um, you know, to, to tell who I was. Um, but the, I guess kind of the, the piece that I didn't really consider as heavily as I should have is that my biological mother is mentally ill. Um, she is schizophrenic and my papers mention that, but, um, they also say that in the time that she was, um, you know, at the home for unwed mothers, that her behavior was consistent. And I remember I even took it to my psychiatrist asking him and he said, well, you know, schizophrenia was a very popular diagnosis back in 1980. So maybe it's just that, you know, she was just depressed. You know, she had, she had a, your half brother die. She had a divorce. She, you know, had to give you up for adoption. Maybe she's just depressed. And so that's what I thought. I was like, well, maybe she's just depressed. You know, maybe she's not schizophrenic. Um, but she is, she, um, she is paranoid schizophrenic and is, um, in an assisted living facility, um, to help with that and to, to give her her treatments. So, you know, there she's, that basically makes her like a ghost, you know, I can't find her. It's not like she's got an address or an email that is listed anywhere. Um, so yeah, I, I needed like to no footprint. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, no wonder I couldn't find anything, um, on her. So, um, uh, but so I, I talked to my niece that day and she said, well, let me talk to my mom and we'll call you back later. And I have never cried so much in my life. Um, probably, you know, this was, it was July the 12th. And, um, I, I mean, I cried literally all day. My eyes were red for weeks. (laughs) Um, but they called me back and that very first phone call, they offered to take me to see my mother, um, that, you know, they were going to, they were going to take me and they would meet up with me and then we would all go together. And that not, not only did they offer that in the very first phone call, but, um, they sent me a picture of her. Oh, wow. That's all you wanted yeah. at yep. first. Yeah. 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 Um, sorry. <laughs> I knew I'd break down a little bit. Um, but that, you know, that first picture, 
It was something that I had been waiting my entire life for. Um, you know, you've got a hole in your heart. Um, and you can't, there's no way to, to fill that hole except to see that person. Um, and to meet that person, you know, there's, there's nothing that, that can, there's no substitute, you know? Um, so they, uh, we planned it out, you know, we planned out, like I said, this was July the 12th and we planned it out, uh, for several weeks later. Cause I was going on a trip. Um, our family was going out West with, um, with my adoptive mother, we were going out for like 12 days. And so we planned it for, um, the first of August. It was like August, um, second, I think. And, um, Man, those those few weeks leading up to the meeting, I was I was a mess. You know, I was such a mess, and I was so scared that they were going to cancel on me. Um, I mean, I would just even up to right before um, right before we went to meet, they were supposed to email me back. I guess Monday just to touch base, and then Brian and I were going to go down to Pinehurst to meet them on Thursday. And, um, Monday, you know, she emails me and she's like, Oh, well, I'm sorry. I had an appointment today. You know, let's touch base tomorrow. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, she's like, she's pushing me off. She's going to cancel. They're going to cancel. This isn't going to happen. I mean, it's this mental, like, yeah. Oh my gosh. It's like a disaster going on in my head thinking, you know, this rejection, this, this abandonment trauma that I feel like I'm going to get rejected again. Um, that just, and the shame, you know, like you don't deserve to meet her. This isn't going to happen. Um, and, and of course it did, but man, it is just, um, oh, it consumed you. It absolutely, and it was consuming me. And Brian, my husband's like, it's okay. It's okay. you know, like, it's going to happen. They told you it's going to happen. Like they're not going to back out. And, um, and so we ended up, you know, talking, I guess, Wednesday before we had another phone call and everything was fine. I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. This is really going to happen. Um, but, uh, it, it just, they're kind of going back to that whole, that, that healing of finding them, um, is, it is, it's like having a hole in your heart and just not knowing, not knowing how to feel that, fill that hole or feeling like you're never going to be able to. Um, and you know, I, I think one of the most magical things that happened that I didn't expect at all. Um, and this actually was part of the first conversation that I had with my half sister. Um, so the non-identifying information that I got gave me paragraphs about, you know, about my, my biological mother. Um, but it did not give me, I had maybe, you know, just a, a tiny bit about my, my biological father. And, um, so that very first phone call with my half sister, she said, well, you, do you know who your dad is? Who's your, who's your biological dad? And I was like, no, I don't know. I don't, I just don't have enough information to go by. I just kind of thought like I would never find him. And she said, well, I know his name. I remember his name because she was 16. 
Like she remembers. So, you know, when you're 16, like you're, you, you know, stuff, what stuff's going on. Um, and she said, um, yeah, she said, I remember his name or she said, I remember his first name. And so she gave me his first name and I wrote it down, of course, you know, and she's like, um, she's like, I just, I just can't remember his last name, but I know that's his first name. So I was like, okay. So, you know, I kind of felt like, okay, well, I have a little bit to go on. So then the day that I met them right before we went, uh, to go visit my mother, we, we met for breakfast right before and just kind of, you know, to get to know each other. And, um, and so they had done some research on their own to try to find my biological father, to try to find his name for me. And, um, my, so my half sister's husband works with several guys, um, from El Salvador and it's a small town, you know, um, people, everybody knows everybody pretty much. And so he asked them, you know, do you know, uh, Roberto, um, Vasquez? And, and he said, uh, that his buddies was like, oh yeah, but he's an old man now. What do you want with him? And, um, and so sure enough, you know, they gave me his name and that they said, you know, he's married, he's got, he's got kids, but they're, they're grown up, but we don't know. I mean, he worked at the food line for however long, like that, that followed suit with what my adoption papers said. They said that my biological father worked at a grocery store bagging groceries. And, um, and so that night I did some searches online for his name and, um, came up with several Google results of how, um, he was Siler City's first official immigrant, um, the first uh, citizen, you know, U.S. citizen, the first immigrant to get his citizenship, and how he used to volunteer his time at the police department to help them translate. Um, and it just sounded, he, I was like, wow, he just sounds like a good person. Um, so I said to Brian, <laughs> I said, so how do you feel about going to Siler City tomorrow? And um, he's like, what are you going to do? Just get out of the car and like tell him who you are? And I said, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> and he's like, okay, all right. Um, and I just thought, you know, but I'm so, we were 30 minutes from Siler City. I've got to, if I don't go now and at least try, I'm going to regret it. And I will want to go back and just do the same thing. So I might as well just do it now while we're here. And I was like, and if he doesn't want anything to do with me, then I have to accept that and, um, and move on, you know, but at least I tried. And, um, so yeah, we went and, uh, pulled up in his driveway. He was working out in the yard and, um, he came up to me and I asked him, I I asked, you know, his name or told him I was looking for somebody by, by that name who knew Carolyn kid back in, you know, 1980 and, uh, kind of went through the story and he's kind of shaking his head and he's from El Salvador. So, um, he speaks it, you know, his first language is, is Spanish. So I could tell he had an accent and there was a little bit of language barrier there. Um, although now I think he, I think he knows he, he can speak a lot better than sometimes he maybe lets on. <laughs> well, I can't say I, I necessarily blame him. Um, but he, um, he finally, you know, was shaking his head and he said, um, he said, I didn't know 
if it was true. He said, I gave it a 50-50 that she was even pregnant because he told her um, or she told him she was pregnant, but then she disappeared because she went to the house, the home for unwed mothers. So he never saw her pregnant. Um, And he said, I gave it a 50-50 that she was even pregnant. Um, And he said, I prayed and um, I asked God to tell me uh, if, if this day came and that you were my child, that he would let me know that you are my child. And he looked at me and he said, and you're my baby. And he gave me this big hug. Oh, Beth, that's so special. Oh my God. What a moment. So, yeah, it was um, just, again, one of those, one of those surreal moments that, um, you can't even, you can't even fathom, you know, like in, in none of my, um, my fantasies of, you know, how we would meet. I never had a fantasy about my dad because I never thought that I would meet him. Um, it was always about, you know, like about my mother. Um, and, uh, and now I have both, you know, I I know both and it's just, incredibly special and, um, and really healing to, to have both sides and not only just for my parents, you know, my biological parents now, but I've got siblings. I mean, I begged my adoptive parents for siblings. I was so upset when I was a child because I didn't have siblings. I can remember crying in my room because I wanted siblings. And my mom's just like, I'm sorry, you know, like we, you're it. Um, and, and now I have six siblings. Um, it's just crazy. And they, uh, you know, I think that there's a big piece of, um, when you meet your biological family as an adopted child, an adopted adult is you start seeing similarities. You see those genetic um, components that you have never had in your life. Um, one of the first things when I met my mother was I looked at her hands and I was like, our hands look, look alike. You know, we have the same hands. Um, and that sounds so bizarre because most people grow up with, you know, a, a mother and a father where your toes look the same or your nose looks the same or your eyes look the same. And I didn't have any of that growing up. Um, and I always was fascinated with like my dad and his uncle have the same feet. Their feet look exactly the same. And none of my body parts look like anybody that I knew, you know? Um, so, you know, now I see that I've got, um, you know, my, my half sister on my mom's side, and then I've got a half sister on my dad's side who looks so much like me. It's like crazy. Um, and that is a big void that gets filled too with this whole reunion piece. Um, just like, Oh yeah, I fit in this world and I've got all these people who look like me and now I kind of have a better idea for what I'm supposed to look like. And it's okay that I look like this. You know, there's no, there's not shame in that. Um, so it's, it's really, there's so much to it. <laughs> I can, I can go on forever. <laughs> Well, I mean, it sounds like you definitely got a lot of um, 
answers through searching and finding your family. What did you notice when it came to your body and healing after you found your biological family? How did that make you feel? And how did that translate into healing for your body? Well, I think, I think the biggest thing, um, is, you know, maybe the stuff that you don't see, which kind of going back to the immune system. Um, and that the fact that our body, I, I saw this quote, you know, our body knows and our body does know. And I didn't think about that really deeply until the reunion that, you know, my body knew that I went through this. I wasn't old enough to remember it. Um, the thing that's unique about adoption trauma is that a lot of adoptees are, they're adopted before they can remember. So their trauma happens before they're conscious of it. But the body knows I was there, even though I don't remember it, I was there. You know, my body knows that I was separated from my mother at birth. Um, and that is probably one of the most traumatic things I think a human could ever experience. Um, and it's something that I see in my work, you know, um, talk, going back to photography and the fact that here I am, a maternity and newborn photographer. Um, people say you create the best art from pain. Well, here I am, you know, as a maternity and newborn photographer taking photos of the time in people's lives that I am missing from my own. Um, I don't have a picture of, you know, my mother pregnant. I don't have a picture of her holding me as a newborn. Um, and maybe that's why I can see the beauty in, in that, you know, that time period like I do. Um, but so I feel like once I was able to recognize that, um, that that's really when the healing started to, to begin. Um, it's about feeling safe in your own skin, um, and feeling safe in the world, um, that I'm not a secret anymore. Um, and that there's no shame in, in what happened to me. I should not be shamed. I do not deserve the shame that was put upon me. Um, and neither does my birth mother. She doesn't deserve that shame either. Um, so I feel like once, you know, mentally you're able to start processing that physically, your immune system starts to kick in and, um, the immune system is so important for fighting off anything. And, um, especially when you've got a strong, you know, uh, infectious disease load, like, like I was having, there are many people who may test positive for some of these infectious diseases, but they show no symptoms because their immune system is so strong. And, um, and that, that fascinated me because I was thinking, wow, how is that even possible? Uh, but it's, it is. Um, and I just feel like once, um, you know, once I was able to really bring all that to the surface, 
that my body really started to heal on a much different level. And I was so much more accepting of my body, the way that it looks, um, you know, that I didn't have to, to hide anymore. And I'm not apologizing for taking up space anymore. Um, I also don't feel like I have to prove anything to anybody. For much of my life, it was like, I have to prove that I'm worthy. Or maybe my adoptive parents would get rid of me again. You know, that that whole abandonment trauma coming up. Um, that I had these coping mechanisms of, well, I need to do the best. I need to be the best. I need to prove that I'm the best. I need to be at the top of my game all the time, always in fight or flight mode. Like, you know, it just, that's, that was my coping mechanism. And once all this stuff came to the surface, I was like, oh, I'm okay. You know, I, I don't need to be all these things. Um, that that's not who I am. It might be what I do, but it's not who I am and I'm okay just the way I am. Um, so, you know, it's still work in progress and I still find days that I struggle with the, the why, (laughs) um, and the how I, I still don't have a lot of answers for, you know, what happened those first three months of my life, but I'm, I'm working on that. I'm trying to get my adoption file unsealed um, so that I can maybe get a little bit more insight into what my mother went through, or at least the process, um, you know, maybe not what she was feeling, but um, the steps that were taken in, you know, in the adoption process. And then, uh, you know, I feel like that's, kind of the last piece of my puzzle um, that really needs to be taken into consideration and um, processed. You know, a lot of it is just taking it in, accepting it, and then releasing it and being okay with, with what happened. And it's, it's part of me, but it's the past and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make me, but I'm, I'm still okay. You know, I'm still um, worthy of love and safety and uh, a, a life that's not defined by shame. Well, that it sounds like the therapy that you're going through is definitely working. Um, you sound like you've worked through a lot of really tangled emotions and, you know, your own trauma going through finding what you're finding out. How are you feeling today? Like physically, how is your body, you know, on a, like today and like, how are you, um, how are you feeling with everything that you, that's been developed? Uh, well today, I mean, I, I feel pretty good. You know, I have gotten more in tune to my body's natural cycles and, um, Part of that's like balance. I got my hormones balanced again for the most part. <laughs> um, I'm stronger physically than I've ever been, and I have yoga. <laughs> yoga, I see it. You are okay. yeah. I, yeah, I love it. A little, a little shout out to yoga for that. Um, and you know, so I think physically, I am just really kind of shocked at like how strong my body is because I don't remember the last time that it's been this strong. Um, and it, 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 I have done so much work 
to try to, you know, release some of the, um, doing like the, the fascia release and, uh, and all that stuff. And I feel like last year I, at the beginning of the year, I told myself, I was like, okay, this is my year for my hips. Like I'm going to get my hips, you know, so they are flexible and open and all this. And it's so funny that that same year is when all this happened. Um, that all this emotional stuff that I feel like has been, you know, I've been carrying around for so many years, the year that I decide, well, yeah, I'm gonna do a bunch of hip openers. And sure enough, like, wham. (laughs) Um, So my hips are doing better. uh, But you know, more importantly, my entire well being uh, is, is just, you know, completely turned around. So um, and I'm so thankful, because I feel like not only did yoga give me the physical strength back that I was lacking, but it also helped a lot with my emotional and spiritual uh, well-being because um, spirituality has been something that I've also struggled with because uh, when I was a child, I went through various churches and um, denominations and, you know, really was kind of um, deep into religion and religious aspects of things. And I think that's because I felt so lost. Um, I was lost between my two families. Um, But, uh, you know, now I really feel like, and I kind of dropped religion for a long time. Um, because I felt like I had all these people telling me that I should just be grateful that I was adopted and that, you know, if I committed myself to this certain religion that, um, I would be healed and I'd be all better and I could move on with my life. And that, you know, that was, that was it. And that never happened. Um, it, it never happened. So, you know, now I feel like once I've got the physical strength back. I also am trying to work on the spiritual aspect of it again. Um, and I can't say that I ever see myself as being very religious, but you know, just the idea of prayer, the idea of, um, you know, sending breath to different places in my body that need healing is really attractive to me and really, um, just kind of brings, a lot of comfort. Um, and, and I've seen the results too. So (laughs) it's, um, it's been quite a journey. So, well, that's, it's so brave of you to even admit that to yourself. Cause I think a lot of people have a hard time recognizing that and understanding that. So I feel, you know, like you're doing a really great job and you're learning so much and, you know, your journey is very, obviously it's very specific to you, but I feel like a lot of people are able to find, some relief in your story. Cause I think you're uncovering a lot of things that people don't realize that they even have. Um, Brittany and I talk a lot about this book and I'm not sure if you've read it, but it's called the body keeps the score. Yes. I'm reading it right now. Yes. <laughs> How, when you start to just listen and not try to overthink, but just be aware of what's going on in your body, like how much just relief that can offer you as a person. For sure. Absolutely. I, I mean, I completely, yes, on the same page with you right there. And yeah, I started reading it. Um, I typically, it's funny because I um, 
tend to have like three or four books going right now <laughs> in my life. And my husband's always been that way. And I'm like, how can you do that? Um, but now I'm that person where I've got, you know, like several books going at once. But yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I think it's so, you know, and so important and so real that people just, you know, you don't understand until you understand, I guess. One hundred percent. And you know, like, I just, I just love you so much and I always have, and I just always want the best for you. So I'm so happy that you're finding just comfort and answers. Cause I can only imagine spending a lifetime of searching and, and like just a lifetime of searching for acceptance or worth and to now be in a place where you are finding more, you know, more answers, but also just more validation of, okay, great. Now I just have the next step. And what's the, what do I say? And what do I do for the next right step? And I feel like that's, you know, the journey that you're on right now. Yes. Thank you so much. I know it's been, it's been such a journey and, you know, I'm, I'm trying, um, besides the reading, I'm also trying to write, you know, I'm journaling every day. And that's something that I've kind of gone in and out of throughout my life where, you know, I, like my pregnancies, I would journal. And so now I'm getting back into that. And, when I tell people my story, they're like, Oh, you should write a book. That's crazy. You know, you, yeah. And so I'm like, Oh, maybe I should. And so now I'm like, okay, if I write this book, you know, is it for me or am I like diving back into these bad coping mechanisms? Like I need to prove something, but I, I also feel like, you know, it's so healing. So healing. Absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm yeah. telling you off air that, you know, I've told your story to at least 15 people who don't even know you, but I'm like, listen, I have this friend and it's just, it's something you've got to hear. Because <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I've watched this from afar, but I'm like, if this happens to her, just imagine, you know, like what this can do for your own life. So, I mean, I think you, you should share your story. And I mean, as you were telling it, I was like, man, this sounds like a Netflix miniseries to me. Wow. Yes, I know. We were, I was joking with my half sister uh, and her, her daughter, my niece, um, you know, in the very first uh, few conversations we're like, this is kind of like a lifetime movie or something. I think, you know, like this could be, this could be fun, but um, yeah, I mean it, but it's so healing to write about. And I feel like there's so many, there's so much in my story that I still don't know. And I probably will never know. But one thing I learned from my inner, from Eva, the, the energy um, healer that I met with is that I can rewrite it. Like if it's traumatic to me, I can go back in there and I can rewrite that story for me on how I want it to be. And, and that's okay. You know, that it doesn't need to be, you know, there were several traumatic events that I described to her. Um, and, and she's like, well, let's rewrite those. And, and so she's like, how did you, we know how it went. How did you want it to go? And we sat there and just went through it. And, um, and I was like, wow, I never thought about doing that. And, um, and so now when I'm sitting down to write, um, these pieces of my life that I don't remember and weren't, you know, but I have not gotten answers for then This is like the very beginning, you know, like, uh, pregnancy, conception, that sort of thing in my life. Um, but I'm like, I can write that. I can just decide, you know, how I want it to be for me. And that's okay. And, um, and then, you know, going through the rest of what has actually happened is pretty, you know, it's pretty phenomenal to just to think back 
on how things fell in place, the dates, the times, the, you know, um, my, my half sister on my dad's side, um, just reunited with him about two years ago. And so, um, if I had done this back in 2015, you know, when, when I was, uh, when I, after I'd had Alice and when I was messaging my anonymous, anonymously messaging my other half sister, you know, she wouldn't have been there. Um, you know, my half sister on my dad's side would not have been in contact with him. So like, I feel like timing has been everything and just watching how it plays out and how many pieces have just fallen into place. It gives you a a sense of like, wow, okay. I don't need to be in control all the time. Stuff's going to happen the way it's supposed to happen when it's supposed to happen. And you just got to be prepared, you know, like do your best to prepare yourself for, you know, anything. So it's just been a lot of, um, a lot of crazy moments and, and good stuff, uh, that I really couldn't have, couldn't have dreamed of. So. That's absolutely amazing. And it sounds like you have an amazing support system with your husband and Eva and everybody who's been along this journey with you. So we just wish you, you know, continued success in finding the answers that you keep searching for and just keep sharing your story and keep sharing your light. And, you know, just thank you so much for taking time to chat with us today. Oh my gosh. Thank you guys so much. It's really just been an honor to to sit here and and chat and and to be able to tell my story. So I really appreciate it so much. Oh, you're so welcome. And we will talk soon. All right. That sounds great. That was a doozy. That was, man, such an emotional roller coaster. And just having to having the bravery to keep going and knowing that there's something that just keeps drawing you to finding the truth. And I think that that is just such a remarkable quality to have as a human being. To keep going when you're mentally and physically exhausted. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I know. We want to thank Beth again for sharing her beautiful story. And if you want to find Beth, she is at my face. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Adopting baby kid underscore Beth Thornton Thompson Wade. Um, so you can find her there or Beth Wade Photography for her beautiful work that we were mentioned in the in the episode. Also, all of the literature referenced will be in our show notes. Yes. And those handles are all for Instagram, correct? Yes. So, okay. Great. Yes. All through Instagram cool. where life exists. Exactly. Well, have a great week, Zen friends, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Help keep the CZL momentum going by rating our podcast and writing a review. If you love what you heard in today's episode, snap a screenshot and post it to your Instagram stories. Don't forget to tag us. 